Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about sex and marriage and how to strip away all the stuff that hurts us and get back to what God intended. And I am joined today by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. And she is the co-author of The Great Sex Rescue, along mm-hmm. with our friend Joanna Sawatsky. And we're just having... You know, a fun couple of weeks looking at all the reviews coming in and just calming down after some really busy times and getting back to talking about what we like to talk about. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing a series on pelvic floor stuff. Yes. Not that pelvic floor is like fun. No. I mean, who doesn't love that pelvic floor physiotherapy appointment? (laughs) Everyone's like, ooh, that's my me time. No, not really. But all three of us have had pelvic floor (laughs) issues who wrote the book. And so we're big proponents. Yes, uh, the pelvic floor. We have Bethany Peterson, who is a pelvic floor physiotherapist, and mm-hmm. I did an interview with her that I would love to share with you right now. Well, joining me on the podcast this week, I'm so excited to have Bethany Peterson here. Hello, Bethany. Hi. <laughs> you are a physiotherapist in Kansas City, Missouri, and you wrote an awesome post for us this week, which I thought would be great to talk about on the podcast and also to talk about pelvic floor physiotherapy and why and when women should get it. You were writing this week about how women just don't, aren't comfortable with our bodies. Like we don't know the words for things. We don't touch things. We're embarrassed by things. And it was actually quite moving reading what you wrote about how many women come to see you and they're just so ashamed. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the first half of my session is getting people comfortable with talking about things that we just don't talk about in our normal lives. Mm -hmm. And then also um, feeling comfortable just in their bodies. It's really powerful for me to um, work with women. And then Also, just I think it's powerful um, after you realize like, oh, I'm normal. There is something wrong. Someone that I, a physician or, uh, I mean, I'm a physiotherapist, but someone in the medical community is um, acknowledging that something is wrong. Um, All of that's really empowering and powerful, but also that my anatomy looks normal (laughs) and um, there's nothing shameful about what I'm going through. That's an unexpected uh, thing that I, I see every day. Now, one thing that you said, especially, which, which I thought was so apt was you said so many women come and they're absolutely ashamed to let you see them because what if they didn't shave or what if they have embarrassing discharge or what if, you know, like, we're sure that we're ugly, (laughs) that our genitals are ugly and guys don't feel this way. No, <laughs> never, never. I mean, I don't know if you have sons or, um, you know, your husbands or whatever. I don't think I've ever heard a man apologize for their anatomy. Um, but every single woman is like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I didn't shave today. Or, oh my gosh. Or when I, I usually get out a mirror and have them look at their own anatomy. And then that's when we practice like a pelvic floor muscle contraction, or if we're using some sort of tool to help um, stretch the muscles. I show them with a mirror, like what I'm doing and how they can do it at home. And every time I get the mirror out, they're like, oh, I I don't want to look at it. Or like, do Mm -hmm. I have to look at it? And yes, (laughs) it looks beautiful. God created this beautiful part of your body. And yes, you can look at it and touch it. (laughs) 
I can see that being really hard though, for a lot of women, especially, you know, as you were saying, the only time that we ever touch our genitals is during toileting. And so it's so associated with, you know, your period and gross stuff coming out of you (laughs) or else to get rid of all the hair that we don't like. And so it's like everything about like that whole region of our body is all stuff that we have to take care of because it's somehow wrong. (laughs) Right. Yes. A hundred percent. And I think men become more comfortable with their anatomy at an earlier age because it's external and you know they're like oh what's this thing you know where (laughs) females everything is I mean more things are internal and so Mm -hmm. then it's like oh don't touch that because then you need to wash your hands which yes it's true but also like it's okay if your you know daughter who's little and not you know it's covered by a diaper most of the time and then you take the diaper off it's like that's a normal thing for her to want to touch um but for some reason it's not as gross when um, a little boy does that and then we just that kind of continues and then there's this whole shame cycle of not touching it and then even when we use toilet paper we're not ever really touching our genitals and men touch theirs you know however many times a day they're going to the bathroom so right um, yeah it's just super interesting to kind of compare I mean I even felt the same way when you when we take the pelvic floor classes we're in a room full of people you know with our pants off so I just always tell tell people that's where I come from I I was on my period I was in the class and I you know had you know my pants off and I was like oh my gosh I don't know if I can do this and then I was like you know by the end of the weekend I was so empowered that I was like wait this is great this is amazing this is um that we can know more about ourselves and our anatomy and it's not dirty I mean, the vagina is a self-cleaning oven is what um, we fondly refer to it as because it does the work itself. So it's really a very clean place. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you my parenting fail. (laughs) So um, Rebecca is about five and we're in the parking lot of the grocery store and I'm emptying all the groceries into the back of the van and the girls are both sitting in the grocery cart. And then Rebecca says the top top of her lungs. It's a very crowded parking lot. Mommy, why do you have hair on your bum? (laughs) And I'm like, okay, several things are going through my head. Like, first of all, I don't think I'm a werewolf. Like I'm pretty sure I do not have hair on my bum. But for some reason she thinks I do. And now everybody around is looking at me. Like, and as I re as I thought about it, I realized that I had never given her a word for vulva. And so everything down there was bum. So I think she saw it kind of like a basketball, like where it went from the the back to the front. And I realized, okay, I think I need to teach you some words. And we did remedy the situation after that, but I had never even realized that I hadn't given her words. Yeah. Yes, my my poor 19 month old goes around going vulva, vulva. So, um, you know, you can go one way or the other. <laughs> my husband's like, okay, we might not need all the anatomy lessons at 19 months old. Right. But yes, I mean, that's very super common is that as adult women, we aren't as educated about our bodies. So then how are we supposed to educate our daughters? Mm-hmm. Um my mentor um, always says that like, if we think back 
like way back when we were in villages, women used to sit around in their little villages and talk about these things and just pass, it was passed on from generation to generation. Our villages are a lot bigger now and we don't have those like little village communities that we just sit around by a fire and talk about our vulvas. And so we have to, now we do it on podcasts. (laughs) Right, exactly. But that is really difficult. And um, we just finished another survey. So we did the survey of 20,000 for our book, The Great Sex Rescue. But we just finished a survey of about, I think it was around 7,300. At 7,500, we had to start paying. So we cut the survey off, I think, around 7,300 because that was more than enough people. But we were asking asking women about their teenage experience. And one of our interesting findings, and I might have the numbers slightly wrong, this is all going to come out in a book next year that we're writing for Mothers of Daughters, was that at the end of high school, something around 45% of women knew what the word scrotum meant, but only 35% knew what vulva meant. I really believe that. (laughs) We're more likely to know the names (laughs) for male genitalia than we are for our own. Yes. Actually, um, have you ever read the book, uh, the V book? No, it's wonderful. It's written by a physician, um, who is a Volvo vaginal specialist, which are Mm. super rare and mostly because medicine is still catching up (laughs) to where we are now, but she writes all about like the history of, um, like women's studies basically in the vulva and like goes through it's a wonderful book if you're curious about anatomy and want to learn more. Um, but she talks about how the word vulva wasn't even like, they didn't even have that word until like the 1600s. Uh-huh. And of course they had the word penis in like 130 BC or something. Like right. That. Right. Um, but those like the actual terms for vagina and vulva were given way way later. Um, I might be getting the years wrong, but anyway, she goes through all of that, um, history of just like, they didn't, they didn't dissect the woman's body until like 16, same thing, like 16, 16. And then first male body was dissected in 130 BC. And so they just assumed that women's bodies were just the inverse of males. And they, they just accepted that until someone finally decided (laughs) (laughs) dissecting a female body so I mean if we think about our history I kind of touch on this on the blog post too but if we think about the history of just our cultures in general it's just been kind of a cultural thing from for a long Mm -hmm. time that we just accept you know that women's bodies do these things and that's it and we actually I mean our bodies do a lot more than men's bodies do yes Um, yes so it's, if anything, we should have been studied way before then, <laughs> uh, because we just, our bodies do a lot and especially our pelvises. So yeah, I can yeah. talk about that for a long time. But. Okay. Well then what we've been talking about all month of June on the blog is our pelvic floor series and some of the things that can go wrong with the pelvic floor. And I've been trying to say the whole time is see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Yes. <laughs> You know, like if something is going wrong, see a pelvic floor physiotherapist before it gets worse. And also there's a lot of evidence that seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist early can stop things from going wrong. So seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist when you're pregnant, for instance, can help you with delivery. Yes. And with recovery afterwards. Um, If you have a health plan and 
things like that. I know that that's difficult. I, in Europe, I think it's actually covered. <laughs> I, I heard that in France, don't they get like three pelvic floor physiotherapy appointments when you're pregnant and three afterwards or something? I'm, I'm sure. I think everywhere. Australia is really good too. Um, Australia and Fr- France makes sense. Uh, I feel like pretty much everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're that good in Canada. I think, I don't think we're that good. I think we, we have to pay for pelvic floor physiotherapists, but like, it is something where if you can manage it, it really is a good idea. But the two yeah. big things, the two biggest things that people talk about on our blog and in the survey is postpartum pain and postpartum problems. If it's not pain, it might be incontinence or pelvic floor prolapse or something like that, or, uh, vaginismus. Mm-hmm. And I can, there was a woman who left a comment on the blog this morning who said, I think she had a bunch of kids 11 years ago was her last one. And she's been dealing with incontinence and so many issues ever since. And she's finally going to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist today, which is like, yay. Yay. (laughs) But how, how, what would you say to someone? So they don't wait 11 years. (laughs) I usually tell people it's kind of like if like I used to see people after like a knee replacement or after a stroke or something like that. Okay. Let's say you didn't do physical therapy after an injury or a surgery and like something like a knee replacement, everyone knows you're going to go to therapy for eight weeks. Right. If that person was like, Oh, I'm just going to wait and like, let it heal on its own. And then I'll go when I have time in 11 years, let's say (laughs) that knee is a lot harder for me to get back to normal because of the tissue Mm. healing and all that kind of stuff than if I had seen them right after surgery, because we develop habits and compensatory patterns, um, to compensate for what's going wrong. So if I can see someone, you know, at six weeks postpartum, or even during pregnancy, I can change a lot of things about how they're moving and what they're doing to prevent incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, things like that. And then even if let's say you have a perfect pregnancy, you have a baby and you're just genetically disposed to um, prolapse. If I see you right at six weeks, instead of 11 years later, we can change a lot about your symptoms at six weeks and we can change how that tissue heals so that you're a lot more comfortable, first of all, (laughs) and so that you don't develop other things like hip pain or back pain because our pelvis is, you know, it's not just that organ that's prolapsing. It's also pulling on the ligaments of our low back. It can cause incontinence. There's a bunch of other things that go along with it. So it's kind of like if we don't rehab the knee right away, then we start to, we, our hip starts to hurt or our ankle starts to hurt because we're compensating using those other muscles. Right. So, okay. So let's do some, go. let's do some definitions here. Yeah. So the pelvic floor in general, Yes. Those, those are the muscles that are what? Yes. Okay. So I have a a small pelvic floor model here and you can buy these. I think it's actually someone in Canada that makes these. Okay. Um, So if you're on YouTube, you can see this. If you're listening, if you're listening, you can't describe, but it's like a hammock. So sorry, this is my, I always pull this out on, on videos and people are like, Oh, there's the vagina. (laughs) But if this is our pelvis, it's like a little bowl. And so it's, the pelvic floor muscles are the hammock in between the pubic bone 
and the sacrum and then in between the two sits bones. So if you kind of rock side to side, you can feel your ischial tuberosities or your sits bones on either so side. So those are the ones in your butt, right? Sits bones. So they, they're like a sling or a hammock in between our low back and our pubic bone and then our, um, our sits bones. And they help rotate our hip. They help open and close the um, vaginal opening and the urethral opening um, and the rectal opening. This one just kind of has the urethral opening is way up there, but okay. <laughs> um, the urethral opening is pretty small, but yeah, there's um, three layers of pelvic floor muscles. So we have a lot of muscles in our pelvis and they're used um, to support. They're part of our core musculature. We mm-hmm. use them as a sump pump. So when you get swollen after pregnancy, um, so in the postpartum period, those muscles help to kind of pull that um, fluid out. And so if that fluid stays there too long, that can cause problems. They do lots of things. I could really talk your ear off, um, but <laughs> there's a ton of muscles. So they're attached to your low back. They attach to your hip, attach to your pubic bone. So any like pubic bone pain during pregnancy, um, pelvic floor PTs can help with that, low back pain. Um, a lot of unresolved low back pain. I've uh, seen women for, they're like, I've been to three PTs and then they come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, that was a missing piece. I had a fall on my tailbone, you know, six years ago. And we just have a really tight muscle all the way. Back I had here. a fall on my tail. I should see. <laughs> I did. Years and I broke my tailbone and I never did like, and I couldn't sit, but there's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens a lot during childbirth too. At least where I'm at, we still have people delivering on their backs. Yes. Oh, you don't, you don't recommend that. Okay. Yes. Well, if you think about we're blocking, this is not my good pelvis model, but you block the sacrum and the um, coccyx Uh when you're laying Uh on your back. Now upright position is a little bit better. So still on your back, but upright, Um, Mm -hmm. but flat on your back with knees up. So the lithotomy position is just probably, I mean, it's the position most women give birth in, but it's really not recommended because. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, now yeah. I'm, now I think I might go and see if some of my lower back problems are because of that tailbone thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So that's the pelvic floor. And then, um, pelvic, like organ prolapse is when the organs go down. Yes. Yeah. Through the, into, and enter the vaginal canal or what is it exactly? Yeah. So we have our bladder, uterus and rectum kind of in a line, um, that are right sit on top of the pelvic floor and they're held up by ligaments and our muscles. And so after, typically after we have a baby, but sometimes I see it in um, people who have been like weightlifting wrong and never had kids um, or things like that. Basically, if we have too much pressure on those organs, some people are genetically predisposed to that, um, but Mm -hmm. too much pressure on those organs and those ligaments can cause the ligaments to kind of loosen. It's like a, like the hammock kind of starts to fall down. Right. So um, those organs can fall into the vaginal canal. Um, So the uterus or the cervix can fall down or the bladder kind of starts to come into the vaginal canal. Same thing with the rectum. Yes. Yeah. That's not fun. That's not good. You don't want that. Okay. (laughs) And then there's, there's incontinence, bladder incontinence so that you can't control urine or so that you pee easily every time you jump or laugh or sneeze or something. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So there's stress incontinence, which is, yeah, if you're jumping or coughing, sneezing. 
um, what most people think of, or urge incontinence, which is when you're on the way to the bathroom, or like when you open your garage door and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, have to pee. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be urge incontinence. Okay. And then, of course, there can be scar tissue from tears and, and pain after childbirth. Uh, we had a lot, I think it was over 30% of women said that they had painful sex after childbirth in our survey. Yeah. And that's after C-section and um, vaginal delivery. There was a study just done recently where after C-section, more women had pain with sex and after vaginal delivery, more women complained of incontinence. Um, so wow. yeah, so C-section creates scar tissue in those organs and like in our fascia that lays over the organs. And we need our cervix to expand and lengthen in order to accept a penis. So when those, when we have scar tissue there, that can actually create pain if that scar tissue isn't moving well. So I work a lot with C-section scar. I think a lot of women who have a C-section, myself included, think that, um, oh, nothing came out vaginally. I'm good with my pelvic floor, but um, you still had a lot of pressure for nine months on your pelvic right. floor, and then you had an abdominal surgery. So right. if anyone needs it, you need it. Um, but yeah, vaginally too, I've seen a lot of women like a couple years later that have scar tissue that clears up really quickly. If you just address it, it's kind of the same uh-huh. thing with like, if you're, if you're touching your anatomy, you know, oh yeah, that's painful right there. Uh, mm-hmm. So what do you do? Like, what do you, if someone comes in yeah. and they've got scar tissue or cotton, like, what do you do? Yeah. So um, we take a thorough history first. So I spend probably half or, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of the first session, just talking through everything. Like we go through it with every single person. I go through bowel, bladder, intercourse, and like their exercise program, all that kind of stuff, how much water they're drinking. It's a really thorough medical history. If you had any, if you had like an ankle sprain 10 years ago, you had a fall on your tailbone that you don't think is related. Um, all of those things are taken into consideration to do the actual muscle examination. I, just use one gloved finger vaginally and test all three muscle layers. So I just insert just the very tip of my finger, have them do a pelvic floor muscle contraction, and then um, a little bit farther, have them do a pelvic floor muscle contraction. And then once my whole finger is in, then we can test all three layers. They do a contraction. um, And then we make sure that that's just that their muscles are working. First of all, a lot of times, um, if there's been an injury to the pelvic floor, sometimes one side is weaker than the other, or one side is tighter. So I can tell that pretty quickly. And then we just, I just, um, palpate internally and externally to see if there's any tightness, tenderness, you've got a lot of muscles down here. So, um, it kind of feels like if you have a trigger point, like if you have, you know, on your neck, when you have those knots, it's the same, your muscles in the pelvic floor can develop the same type of knots. So I just like press on those and we see if it causes pain or it's the same as what's happening during sex or anything like that. And so, uh, yeah, then we go from there. So sometimes with incontinence, what happens is people develop tight muscles and weak muscles. So they're walking around trying to hold everything in to not pee their pants, but then those muscles also get weak. So we try and relax the tight muscles and then also strengthen them. Okay. So there's all, so, so then you, 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 figure out what people need and then you give them certain exercises that they can do at home too, right? 
Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So a big thing in the pelvic floor world right now is, well, a lot of uh, people just say, oh, go, go do your Kegels or OBGYNs a lot. will say after postpartum, like just do your Kegels. You don't need to see a pelvic floor PT. And so I think Kegels have gotten a really bad rap. (laughs) I, I rarely send someone home with just Kegels, like just Mm -hmm. going home and contracting their pelvic floor muscles. Personally, I don't think that does a whole lot. I usually pair it with breathing or activities or exercises that are causing them incontinence or pain or things like that. And then a lot of times with vaginismus or really tight pelvic floor muscles, we're working on down training, which is the relaxation of the pelvic floor muscles and lengthening those muscles. So we do that a variety of ways. Um, yeah. Cause, cause sometimes Kegels are the wrong things to do, aren't they? A hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I, we work on breathing with every single person and we either focus on the part of breathing that allows the pelvic floor muscles to lengthen or to contract. So if you're, if you have incontinence and you're only weak, let's say you had mm-hmm. a baby, you know, six weeks ago and those muscles are just like, I, we're just hanging out. We're not doing anything. Then we're working on the contraction part of a Kegel, I guess, or right. the breathing um, that we go over. And then if you're having, let's say vaginismus and you're just like really tense, um, like I can barely do the exam because you're just so tense. We're not working on contracting those muscles at all. We're yeah. only working on lengthening and like different yoga positions, meditation, getting those muscles to relax. Cool. So um, I know after childbirth, and I'm sure it's illegal to do now everywhere, it probably <laughs> should have been unethical before. Physicians, some physicians will put in that special physician stitch or something to make women be tighter again. Yes. I did. I just had someone actually with the husband stitch. Really? They still do that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. She had to go and get re um, torn actually. um, They like stitched her in like the middle of her vaginal opening. I don't think it's, um, a good practice. I think a lot of physicians won't do it, but yeah. Okay. So a better, better better thing to do than that is to help women train their muscles. Yes. So that they get control again. Yes. <laughs> anytime you can use muscular control versus I mean anytime you can do that versus like a medical intervention, it's better, mm-hmm. but especially in an area that's so sensitive. Um, yeah. yeah. So we can, if you're struggling with like your tampons are falling out or things like that, because I don't know, people will complain of like when they do yoga or go in the water, they like walk out of the water and it feels like they just accepted a lot of water into their <laughs> vaginal opening. And then it comes out, you know, like those types yeah. of things can be, well, I should say common after, um, after pregnancy. And so a lot of times that's just a simple weakness issue. And then we can just work on strengthening those muscles. And yeah, so it's a pretty easy fix all in all, and you don't need right. another stitch. <laughs> right. Now, when it comes to vaginismus, cause I want to, I want to head there next. Cause that's, yeah. that's what a lot of people deal with. And I think that one's harder because 
you, you get married and you don't think, and I'm talking about primary vaginismus. Of course, you can develop vaginismus afterwards due to other trauma or something. So some sure. women who never had the problem can develop it later. But yeah, I think especially when it hits you right at the beginning of your marriage, when you were never thinking this was going to happen, you didn't even know there was a word for it, yeah. even though it is so common. Um, but again, it's when it's when the muscles contract so much and are so tense that intercourse is actually painful, if not impossible. Yeah. And the shame and guilt that so many women feel must make it even harder to get treatment because they feel like their bodies are awful or gross or broken or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's really hard to treat. I always recommend that people see um, a mental health provider along with me. My office is actually mm-hmm. located in a counseling office for that reason, because I just want it. I want people to know that this is like, they go hand in hand. A lot of times mm-hmm. there's so many feelings associated with our pelvis or no feelings at all. You've completely right. associated from the pelvis. You have no feelings towards it. Yes. Besides like it's gross. Um, yeah. So there's a lot associated with that. So that's my first um, caveat is like, I always recommend that go pair well with physical therapy, but also just, I mean, we work a lot on loving our pelvis in many different ways. So meditation can be a really big one with that. And that kind of gets a bad rap, especially in the Christian communities, but just really focusing and thinking about our pelvis more during the day just like how, cause we carry a lot of stress. It's kind of like our neck. Um, mm-hmm. they've done studies that people with jaw and neck pain actually also typically have pelvic floor muscle tightness because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. both kind of carry stress. Mm-hmm. So just kind of like thinking during the day, am I, am I squeezing my butt cheeks together? Am I holding my stomach in because I'm trying to suck in cause I feel fat or something like that. We're just really going through like the mind of the person who has vaginismus throughout the day and being like, how are you feeling about your pelvis? And a lot of patients are like, is this PT? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it really does change everything because a lot of people will come in and then they'll be like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that all day I stand or sit with my butt cheeks, just clenched together, just trying to hold everything in or like, that's where I carry, you know, everything. So I think that goes along with, with everything else we see in a, in a new marriage too. You have, then you have this new marriage or um, maybe you've been married for a long time and you've felt shame around sex. So we're trying to just change how we're feeling about our pelvis how we're carrying ourselves and then how we're interacting too with our spouse. So I have a lot of people, depending on how comfortable they are, bring their spouse in with them. Um, And that helps a lot because they get to hear the spouse and the patient get to hear this is actually something that's medically wrong. Your spouse is not withholding anything from you. This is something that, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I actually get, have the partner, feel the muscles if the um, patient is comfortable and be like this this is what it feels like just at rest (laughs) you know this Mm -hmm. is how do you think that a penis is going to fit in this opening 
when Mm -hmm. it's just so tight and you can feel the muscle spasm and all those things. And then that really changes the relationship because then the partner is like, oh my gosh, I've been forcing this or what, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. And so it just gives a really open communication Mm -hmm. style. Now I will say a lot of patients are really uneasy about that, um, especially Mm -hmm. if they have a lot of shame associated Mm -hmm. um, with the pain that they're having. But it's really powerful when I can look their husband Mm -hmm. in the eye and be like, this is a medical problem. And, you know, it just changes a lot for both. So I've heard, I've spoken to a lot of pelvic floor physiotherapists who will tell me that, you know, most of their clients are conservative religiously in some way, whether it's Christian or Orthodox Jew or Muslim or whatever, but they tend to fall on that end of the spectrum. And of course, that's something that we were looking at in our survey for the great sex rescue is like, what is it about conservative religious women that makes vaginismus more common? And the one, the one message that we kept coming back to was the obligation sex message that you have to have sex with your husband whenever he wants it, or you're defrauding him. Yeah. And I know you mentioned that in your article as well. This is something that you've seen in your practice that many women have this belief. Yes. Yeah. That's a really hard message to change. Um, I'm still getting, I'm looking forward to more of your research. Um, (laughs) I would love to know. I mean, it's hard when you're sitting in a medical office and I'm telling you, you don't have to have sex with your husband. (laughs) You know, that (laughs) always, you know, they're like, but I do have to have sex with him, you know? Um, And that's why I like to look both part, like both parties in the eye and be like, no, (laughs) stop doing this. But we talk, I mean, I talk a lot about it, consent, um, which I think Mm -hmm. you've talked about in your book as well, of just Mm -hmm. um, how important that is. Um, And I think, in, I think something you said was really powerful that in Christian marriage and sex books, consent is not really discussed. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in secular books, it it is. My story, I had vaginismus um, when we first got married. Oh, did you? Yeah. (laughs) It was terrible. (laughs) And, and when I had it, everyone was still sure that it was, that I was causing it in some way, like either that I had some sexual abuse in my past that I couldn't remember. And so I was sent to all these counselors to try to remember this sexual abuse that I couldn't remember, or that I was subconsciously rejecting my husband. And it was, it was terrible because I felt so much guilt. And, and then everybody was making me feel like it was my fault as well, because <laughs> yeah. we just didn't have public floor physiotherapy in the same way. But I... I had done ballet my whole life and I spent my life sucking my stomach in. I never didn't suck my, like I slept with my stomach sucked in Yeah, and my, and my butt, like, you know, so that you always, yeah. And I, and that's not the way you're supposed to hold yourself as a, as a ballet dancer. I just did it. I did it wrong, but I did it wrong for 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. Like 24 hours a day, you know, (laughs) that's almost all my patients. Plus, I and I really think another big culprit was um, the obligation sex message really exacerbated everything because I felt like I can't give myself time to heal because then I'm defrauding him. Yeah. (laughs) And it made everything so much worse. You know, I'm really, I'm really glad that there's better treatments now. But for women who do have vaginismus, and often there is so much shame is, are there women who just can't like, who just can't let you look at them or do things to them, like 
stretch them or how, how do you talk them down off the ceiling? When you- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times by the time they get to me, honestly, hopefully this becomes more common and people just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, come to me, but a lot of times by the time they're coming to me, they're like ready for, and I always go over on the phone, what we're going to do in session mm-hmm. so that they're a little bit prepared, but, um, it is really, um, hard, especially when you have, or if someone, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, I have to cancel. I'm on my period. That always happens to like the woman who's right. like the most scared of this, then she's always uh-huh. on her period <laughs> or just <laughs> telling me she's on her period. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's really just a lot of, um, yeah, I, you know, that's a really good question of how to talk them down. We do, I, that's why I do a lot of meditation. I have a YouTube video that I recommend to a lot of people that's, I think Fem Fusion does it. It's a pelvic floor guided meditation and it really talks about how to relax and lengthen those pelvic floor muscles. And so if I have a really hard time doing the exam, first of all, if I feel like someone's uncomfortable, we just don't do it the first day. Mm-hmm. And we can mm-hmm. do other things and that's totally fine. And then if we're able to do the exam or part of the exam, then I usually have them just work on uh, like breathing, doing a guided meditation. And then really I emphasize a lot trying to stay away from intercourse while they're healing because we create this fear cycle of, I mean, it's just like anything. If you sprain your ankle and every time you run, your Mm -hmm. ankle hurts, you're not going to run. But in Christian women, we're like, every time I have sex, it hurts, but I'm just going to keep having sex. Like that doesn't help our, our brain then just before anything even comes near us, all of a sudden it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm having pain and nothing's even penetrating me yet. I'm just, I'm just in pain. And so that we have to break that cycle before I can get anything done. That's number one is talking. And usually women are like, great. (laughs) I just needed someone to tell me I didn't have to have sex, which is so terrible and sad that we, you know, they need that validation just from someone else to say, Mm -hmm. you don't have to go home and do this. Mm -hmm. So, Well, and, but so many Christian resources don't give women that chance. No choice at all. Yeah. And I know when I was going through my treatment, I didn't have that choice. Yeah. My counselors told me that, yeah, that this was something that he needed. It's just so so sad. Mm -hmm. So, so I am so glad the conversation is changing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so damaging. There's that cycle is so damaging. There's so much shame around sex. And I think that Mm -hmm. really needs to change. Yeah. That's great. Well, I will put a link to that FemFusion um, video that you mentioned. Yeah. You, I will, Bethany will give me that link and I'll put it in the show notes for this in the podcast post that goes along with this. Um, and I will also put a link to the great post that Bethany wrote that was out, I think on Tuesday of this week, so that you can see that. And anything else, any final words that you want to say to women who might be thinking, you know, do I need pelvic floor physiotherapy or what should I do? <laughs> yes you do (laughs) if you're thinking you might need it you just make an appointment there's really no 
reason you shouldn't. <laughs> right. And just learn to love your pelvis. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And where can people find you? My website is wellcorept.com. I'm the only physical therapist at my practice right now, but um, so I'm well um, and then a plus sign core physical therapy. And then my uh, Instagram is at wellcorept, all one word. That's pretty much it. And then I'm on Facebook too. So great. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I hope that we will we will see you again. I will I'm going to be speaking. I just got word this week, um, next February at the at a big physiotherapy conference in San Di, San Antonio. Oh, great! That's awesome. <laughs> yes, on on um, our vaginismus findings, we're creating a screening tool along with another pelvic floor physiotherapy professor to deal with the whole obligation sex message. So that's, that's so great! I can't wait to see that. So. Yes, yes, and uh, I. You know what, ladies? Vulva. Just say it all together. (laughs) Vulva. It's a good thing. Whether yours has hair or not, whether you're having your period or not, whether you shave or not, it is a good thing. And don't be, don't be embarrassed of it. All right. (laughs) Thanks so much, Bethany. Good to talk to you. Thank you. I am sorry that I never told you the word vulva when you were yeah, five. <laughs> I still think that's so funny. I still think that's just such a good story. Yeah. So, you know, but we're getting better. Yes. And we're changing things for the next generation. Yes. There you go. And to be fair, by the time I needed to know things, I knew things. Yeah. So. <laughs> so we have a couple of reader questions that we're just going to run through very quickly that have to do with what we've been talking about. Do you want to read this one? Sure. I'll okay. read it. I have been listening to your podcast from the beginning. I love them. You helped me see sex in a whole different way that has made it more intimate and enjoyable. I am pregnant with baby number four and I'm having a miserable pregnancy. Oh, yeah. Good thing I made you this Oh, yeah. I'm getting through it. My husband is the best and is taking good care of me. For the last week, I have been experiencing pain in my pubic area and sacral area. It is worse when my legs separate. This makes sex in the usual way impossible. My husband and I tried it and I was left in bed for the rest of the day in great pain if I stood up. I see my OB on Tuesday and I'm going to get a pelvic floor physio referral then. Do you have any advice about what to do for sex? I still have four months to go until baby comes. First of all, I get the worst sciatic pain when I am pregnant to the uh-huh. point that my entire leg will seize up and, con- and I have to and I scream from across the house, Connor! And he knows the sound of my voice when it happens and he comes running. He has to pick me up like under the arms, uh-huh. lift me and place me on the couch so that I can like re-engage my leg. So like comes to horrible pain during yes. pregnancy. I feel ya. <laughs> yeah. And this is exactly the kind of scenario that Bethany was talking about. Exactly. In our interview is like, this is why people need to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. So I'm yeah. so glad she's getting a referral. I think the pelvic floor physiotherapist is going to have stuff that can help her. Yeah. And I would just say, you know what? If you're having a lot of pain, then do sex in a different way or don't do intercourse for a while until you have that figured out. Yeah. You don't need to, you don't need to um, simply say, okay, well, if we're going to have sex and I need to do it when I can be bedridden for eight hours afterwards, that's not really the conversation you should be having. It's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's honestly okay to give yourself a break. So I am glad that pelvic floor physiotherapy is becoming more normalized. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. Next one. I was married two months ago and was a virgin. The first time we had sex, it was difficult. And at one point I screamed probably loud enough for the neighboring hotel room to hear. Since then, our sex life has been strained. My husband doesn't want sex as often because he doesn't want to hurt me. 
him not wanting sex hurts and makes me feel unwanted. But at the same time, I'm relieved that we aren't having sex. There is usually a sharp pain and occasionally irritation. We have had sex about 10 times, mostly in the missionary position, as it doesn't usually hurt, but it feels like nothing. I've seen a pelvic floor physiotherapist and she says my muscles are too tight. What can I do to improve my sex life? I mean, I'd I'd hope that her for a physiotherapist had more to say just then oh you're too tight yeah and that's what i was thinking when i was reading this too you the reason that you find a different physiotherapist yeah if you're if your pelvic floor physiotherapist just says you're too tight that doesn't seem quite normal maybe she just had a quick consult but didn't didn't go for treatment treatment. so i would i would go for treatment yeah and 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 frankly if on your first um appointment you didn't get any sort of tips on what you could do find a different Mm -hmm. physiotherapist yeah because it could be that they don't know or that they're just in it for money yeah yeah so So. that's that's not a good situation so when you do see a pelvic floor physiotherapist as bethany said she she described some of the things that she goes through with all of her patients Mm -hmm. find someone who's going to be like that yeah and i i've seen multiple physiotherapists because i've moved around a bit and every single one of them has had me leave every appointment with homework with things to do and with a a like treatment mm-hmm. plan. Yeah. It's not like seeing a doctor when they just diagnose. Like no. seeing a physiotherapist is about getting, they, they often do exercises with you, but they also give you exercises to do at home yeah. because it is all about changing the way that you use your muscles and, yeah. and healing things. So I do want to talk about the dynamics though. This is a very common dynamic. Mm-hmm. And at least, and it's actually really great that her husband doesn't want to hurt her like yes. that should be the response i'm gonna yes. be honest here yes. like mm-hmm. if if a woman is in pain when you're having sex that should be a turn off yes for the guy yes so let's first of all say good good guy yeah good guy <laughs> but you know i i i know i understand what she's saying yeah. is that him not wanting sex makes her feel unwanted but you know sometimes that can be part of growing up in the church too mm-hmm. and hearing that men need sex mm-hmm. and and all men really want sex and so then if your husband is actually being a good guy <laughs> yeah we can interpret that as as like rejection like we're not a woman enough and that's just all the mental stuff that's going on with the vaginismus issues and i think what i would what i would really say is your husband does want sex mm-hmm. but he doesn't want it as much as he doesn't want to cause you pain yeah and that is a good thing and that doesn't mean that you're not desirable it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that he's not loved or he doesn't want you it means that he loves you and values you so much that he doesn't want mm-hmm. anything even if it would feel great for him that would make you feel anything less than great yeah so and so that's a good thing but i know that there, there's so many messages that yeah. are often all mixed up yeah in our minds and you know because we feel like sex is so important and so vital and it is really important for marriage we're not trying to say that it's not but but there's a hierarchy and good men understand that their their desire to have you know sex Mm -hmm. it's totally outweighed by their desire to not cause harm or pain yeah and so i would say like once you get the pain issue dealt with and probably the rest will deal yeah and and you know what if you're not having intercourse, that doesn't mean you can't do other things. Yeah. And so um, make the focus of what you're doing, though, learning how to get you aroused right now. Because I think if, if he can see that he can get you aroused, if you can see that you can get aroused, that it'll you put are, him at ease, too. It'll put him at ease. He'll realize he's not imposing on you. You'll feel like a sexual person. And that could be a good thing, even if you can't have intercourse yet. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I also think it is important to say that if, if, if you know, it hurt so much that you screamed, it also may have been kind of traumatic for him as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's another one really quick mm-hmm. that, that goes into the dynamics that can be caused when vaginismus is involved. So she says, I love your blog podcast. And I want to thank you for speaking out about these things. Your materials have been so important to my vaginismus recovery. I've been married for five and a half years to a wonderful guy, but due to my severe primary vaginismus, the brick wall, we were only able to have penetrative sex one week ago Mm. after months of therapy and re-educating myself. So that means that they went years without therapy. So again, please get help earlier, please. Um, I am so happy that God has finally led me to the right information and treatment and healed me of vaginismus. And Mm. I am, but while we're overjoyed, my husband has got so used to a more direct manual touch as that was all we were able to do that he has not been able to climax during intercourse and is losing his erections often and quickly. I know we just need to focus on his pleasure and be together in the moment, but I'm really unsure whether we should abstain from giving him manual stimulation and just keep trying with intercourse course or whether that's depriving him of reaching climax when he's been so patient and loving through my vaginismus recovery he did have a porn and masturbation habit before marriage but has dealt with it and i trust him but the masturbation did follow us into marriage and was reinforced by the vaginismus even when it was me stimulating him so i'm so happy we're able to have intercourse but it feels tainted by this disappointment and i just want him to feel as happy as i do when you've spent years doing things one way <laughs> and, and when and when intercourse he he could actually be having exactly what you were saying like a yeah. trauma response where he's associating intercourse with causing her pain yeah. and so it just may be difficult to see this as a good thing and i would mm-hmm. just say it's been a week that's kind of what i was thinking too is like you know maybe yeah. you know you can you can work on you know like you can talk to first of all if there is a licensed sex therapist mm-hmm. near you this is the kind of thing they're really good at dealing yeah, with yeah like kind of helping you rewire the brain figure out mm-hmm. you know good what's exercises. holding you back what are exercises you can do what are ways to you know help you get help you help you become stimulated in, in a way that you mm-hmm. anyway, it, mm-hmm. all these things that are sex therapist job not necessarily mine yes uh, <laughs> i'm grateful mm-hmm. for that so if you do have a access to that I actually mm-hmm. think that would be a really great yeah I think so too I also think give it time um you can also do some of the exercises um on on how to help her reach orgasm through intercourse but just reverse roles like yes what we often say for her is wait until she's absolutely almost at the edge and then start intercourse you, know, you can do some <laughs> of those things um but I, I, I think that this is probably something that will resolve in time. Or if yeah. you give it another couple of weeks and it still isn't resolving, mm-hmm. then talk to someone. Your choice. But mm-hmm. it, it, I think if you've done this for years and then he's also been, you know, masturbating for years, yep. it yeah. might take more than a matter of days. Yeah. If he's overcome. got like a 15 year masturbation habit plus this or whatever, yeah. if you started as a let's say 14, you know, like this could be a 15 year thing. Yeah. So, um, it, it really may be something that he's, so don't he, lose hope to get, out don't of. lose yeah. hope mm-hmm. and do, if you, if you have the finances or you have the yeah. ability, you know, talk to a therapist. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you know, yeah, like you can start weaning off of one and <laughs> working <laughs> towards the other. But yeah, but again, this just shows that a lot of these things are just so multi-dimensional. Yeah. And there are a lot of dynamics that are involved. So, yeah. you know, getting people to talk to. I love how Bethany says that she's in this complex with counselors. Because yes. often it isn't just the physical side that needs to be worked on. But the nice thing is we've talked to so many people who have gotten over these issues. And mm-hmm. you really can Well, and, find... and even this woman said that she dealt with this for years. And it was only like months of therapy and her vaginismus is gone like yeah mm-hmm. so if you're if you're a newlywed and you're listening and sex hurts get the treatment now yep exactly okay 
two letters of encouragement for you mm-hmm. before we wind up. You haven't seen any of these yet, so okay. I, I like to always give these two. Do you want to read the first one? Sure. I just wanted to say an enormous thank you for the courage and honesty that led to the great sex rescue. I have been searching for answers for three years of miserable married sex and have been frustrated by the consistently stale answers that I have found from many male evangelical leaders. After devouring this book in one <laughs> night, I feel hope for the first time in my marriage. We definitely have a long journey ahead of us but i finally feel like i have answers thank you for writing this you are saving marriages yeah that's awesome yeah yeah and you know what the journey can be a long one that's why you're married for decades that's okay if it takes a while to get this right but at least you're going in the right direction now exactly and change the trajectory and i think for all of us that's you know in all the questions we've had tonight too it, it is about just changing the trajectory so that was nice and here's one from a guy okay so i looked up some new amazon reviews they're all really good by the way all the new ones have been five star which is awesome but canadians Come on, the Americans are beating us. We haven't had we haven't had a Canadian review on Amazon for like a month now. Oh, come on, Canadians! Yeah, come on. And, the, and it was the Canadians who beat the Americans at first. So maybe we just all got our reviews in there early. But if you're Canadian and you've read The Great Sex Rescue, go leave us a review. We'd love it. Okay, but here's an American guy. Yeah. All right. I've been married almost 25 years and a Christian much longer, but somehow the true meaning of sex and marriage was never presented to me. This book was eye-opening in a wonderful way. First, for its beautiful explanation of how sex is a deep, intimate knowing of each other. And second, it really helped me understand how much my wife has been hurt by the garbage in Mm -hmm. all those marriage books and studies she's read over the years. She tried to explain it to me a few times, but I didn't get it until we read this book together. Now I'm downright angry at those other authors. How dare they tell my wife that she better not refuse and that sex is all about me? Mm-hmm. How dare they tell her that it only takes a few minutes <laughs> and makes me so happy? How dare those authors tell my wife that if I have an affair, she's at least partly to blame? I am so glad we read this book together. All of the questions and suggestions to reframe faulty beliefs have not only opened up a new world of intimacy for us, but they have helped us immensely in how we teach our children about sexuality and healthy boundaries. This book offers healing, hope, and amazing intimacy. Highly recommend. That's wonderful. And that's what I love to hear as the, like, I mean, me and Joanne both as like the moms of young kids people are like this is changing how i'm talking to my kids excellent that means the church is going to be a healthier place yes. for joanna's girls and for my kids yeah amen it's just great and um you know we have a free video study that goes along with the book oh yeah so if you're thinking about what group studies you want to do in the fall, maybe mm-hmm. as your church opens up again from COVID, or you can still do this one online with friends. You can watch yep. the videos together. And then or if there's just a whole gang Zoom. of you who is just fed up with mm-hmm. some of the stuff that's been going mm-hmm. on, you know, also just do that. Yep. Just- Beck and I recorded the videos. They're roughly like 11 to 15 minutes each. And yep. then there's discussion questions to go along. It's all free. Yes. Um, and I will put the link to that in the show notes for this podcast too. So come join us on the Great Sex Rescue Study. If you are having issues, any issues, if you've ever broken your tailbone, if you have pain during sex, if you're incontinent, please see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. And as Bethany said, don't wait years. Yep. And remember, normal does not mean that it needs to be your normal forever. Amen. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Bare Marriage Podcast. Join us next week for our Start Your Engines. We're going to have the guys join us. (laughs) Bye-bye.